Recovery Elevator, episode 454. I mean, I was a prisoner of wine. And when I quit drinking, I had no idea how much mind space would be freed up, you know, because I wasn't thinking about five o'clock or I wasn't thinking about being hungover and I wasn't being, I wasn't feeling shameful. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. On today's show, we have Kristen. She's 60 years old, lives on the Delaware shore, and took her last drink on June 3rd, 2019. Nice job, Kristen. I want to do a quick shout out to our Cafe RE chat host. Today, I was able to jump on the midday chat and see one of our members host their first meeting. The topic was great, and it was nice to take a moment out of my day and spend some time with my recovery family. Thank you, Aaron, for a wonderful meeting. Before we get to the intro, let's hear from our sponsor, Exact Nature. Exact Nature's safe and healthy CBD-based products are formulated to help you with the challenges of quitting drinking such as addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, and lack of sleep. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Today we're continuing the Q&A series and we've got a two for one. After today's interview, I'm going to share my thoughts on Bobby's question on NA drinks and recovery. But for our intro, I've got a question from our very own Big Daddy Dale and Cafe RE. Dale wants to know, how can I do more in my recovery community? Great question, Dale. Thanks a lot. The first thing I'd like to clear up is what exactly constitutes a recovery community. The traditional response might be AA, an online group like Cafe RE, Celebrate Recovery, Smart Recovery, Recovery Dharma, or any other group with the word recovery in it. These are all great communities, but I also think we can expand our view. It could be a church or spiritual group, a book club, a running club, barf, or a workout group. Maybe it's a group of parents or fellow students. I think that any group that's supportive of you and your recovery and your self-development can be one worth investing our time and energy into. I'm involved with a couple groups that help build me up, but I'm the only person in recovery and they're amazing, but it's still important for me to have at least a few recovery specific people in my life. They just get it, and sometimes I need someone who experiences things the same way as me. If you don't have one of these groups in your life, I just want to encourage you to get out there and find one. Hit up a local AA meeting, hit up a local spiritual group, or join Cafe RE. If you're struggling to find community, just shoot me an email and we'll hook you up. Alright, so we've identified what our community is and we're looking to dig in. For me, involvement means that we've got some sort of mutual buy-in. I know we all have different comfort levels and we're all at different points in exploring our booze-free life, but when I came into the recovery scene, I saw people spilling their guts. They were sharing at in-person meetings or in rehab, and when I got into Cafe RE, I saw people bare their souls, talking about what they had been through and opening up about their successes and struggles. I didn't need to worry about matching their stories or trying to one-up them, but I did feel obligated to match their vulnerability. That was my point of entry for becoming involved in the communities that I was a part of, to share my experience. I didn't, nor do I today, have anything figured out, 
It was a lot of dissecting my experience with the group there to support me along the way. That mutual buy-in paid off because I was able to see my story through other people's shares and it helped to guide me in this new life. I could take what they had learned and apply it to what I was going through, or I could reach out and see what they thought about my situation. A friend of mine from Cafe RE comes to mind. We used to call him Bedhead because he did these wonderful, insightful shares first thing in the morning. My wife and I were still celebrated and we were working on a reconciliation, but we were still stuck on this one issue. Because of what he had shared, I trusted Bedhead enough to reach out to him. He listened to what I was going through and he pointed me in the right direction. Bedhead's words of encouragement are a huge part of the reason that we made it through that tough patch. That's the potential that becoming involved in a recovery community holds. What might seem like a simple share to us can touch someone who's in it right now. It can help them to know that they're not alone. I do want to throw this disclaimer out there again, that we're all in different places and that we all have different past. I understand that being vulnerable can be triggering and painful. It's okay to proceed with caution. It's okay to take your time but I also want to encourage you to dip your toe in the water. There are safe spaces out there for us, and sometimes it just takes a while to find the right fit. Don't be discouraged if you haven't found your space yet. Stay open and keep looking. Your place is out there. So at this point, we may be active in our community. Hopefully we've made some connections, but we want to do more. I found myself in that space in 2018. Because of the nature of our small local AA group, Even though I was newly sober, I had the chance to chair a couple meetings from time to time. The unofficial rule seemed to be whoever's closest to the binder steers the ship. It was cool to be able to chair those meetings, but I'm a shift worker and I couldn't make it to as many AA meetings or RE chats as I wanted to. I noticed that there was a gap in my recovery. I reached out to Paul and he gave me the chance to start actually hosting meetings in Cafe RE. It's been really cool to see those chats evolve over time. We used to just have a couple a month, and now we have a few each day with an entire ensemble of hosts. That's what I continue to try to do today. Look for those gaps in my recovery, the gaps in my sense of community or in my personal development, and look for ways to fill them. I used to see that people in other parts of the country were doing small local meetups, so I organized one for the Midwest. We had close to 40 people travel to Minneapolis for a weekend meetup, and it was amazing. On this note, if we have listeners anywhere close to North Dakota, please hit me up because I'd love to do another meetup. In my local community, I've realized that I've got some great guy friends, but because of our busy family and work lives, we weren't getting together much. I've hosted a handful of bro gatherings to try and bolster that community. This coming Saturday, I'm actually hosting a dude's breakfast. Is our church going to benefit from this group of men getting together? Of course. But for me... It's about filling the gaps that I have in my life. It's about finding ways to connect with other people who are seeking the same things I am, and it makes it feel a lot less like work when it also builds me up. I think the common theme here is service. Think of things that you bring to the table and what you'd like to see your community offer. At the intersection of those two things lies an opportunity for growth, and chances are you're not alone. Talk with others. Find people to partner with you. Many hands make light work. Listen to your heart. If you feel that tug to do something, be obedient to that. We have no idea how it could impact our lives or the lives of the people around us. All right, Ari, that's it for this intro. 
And remember, after the interview, I'm going to talk about any drinks. Before we hear from Kristen, let's hear from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Thank you to our newest partner, Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens daily. I gave AG1 a try because I noticed that I was taking multiple supplements a day and I was searching for something that took care of my immune system as well as gut health all in one. I'm training for another marathon and I take AG1 in the morning before getting my run in and it makes me feel like I'm ready to conquer the day. I'm a busy working mom and it gives me such peace of mind knowing that I'm helping my body by providing it with all of the nutrients that it needs in a day. I've been taking AG1 for two months now and I have noticed how good I feel throughout the day and how I don't immediately need caffeine upon waking up. All you have to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and voila, your cells will be grateful. One daily serving of AG1 contains 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash recovery. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash recovery. Check it out. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Kristen to the show. Kristen, how are you doing today? I am doing great today. Thanks. Glad you're here. I'm excited to get a visit with you and get to know you and hear a little bit of your story. But before we get ahead of ourselves, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Yep. I have been sober since June 4th, 2019 which is uh, four years and two months-ish. Four years and two months-ish. How are you feeling? I feel great. I feel really good. I'm a little tired today because I got a new puppy yesterday. Oh. Last night, but I'm feeling really good. That's awesome. Did you do anything to celebrate your four years? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I sure did. I actually went out with a whole tribe of sober women friends here and you know, we do what we do a lot. We, you know, go out to eat dinner. We, you know, hit a meeting. We'll, you know, whatever. We're, we'll just, you know, whatever. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. I love that. I love being able to celebrate, uh, celebrate those special days with community. I think that's very cool. All right, Kristen, uh, before we start with your story, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, uh, age? married family, anything like that? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> All right. So um, I live on the Delaware shore. Um, I've lived here 22 years going back and forth to DC. Many of those. I'm from Louisiana. Originally, I went to LSU. I became a newspaper reporter. I moved to Texarkana, Texas for six months and decided that wasn't my, my thing. And I moved to Tasmania, Australia for two years where I found more people who did similar things that we did in Louisiana growing up. Um, so I, became, I was a newspaper reporter. I worked in law enforcement and policy and chief's offices, civilian. I'm now retired uh, four years um, in October. It'll be four years. Um, I'm married. I have adult kids. And for fun, I like to camp. I like to travel. I like to do, I do triathlons. I just did my first half Ironman last year. Nice. Uh, and uh, I hang out with my sober tribe of women. Uh, we 
do all kinds of things. We do silent disco. We do bowling. We go camping together in the Shenandoahs. Um, we are, we go to movies. We go to dinner. We always have something going on. Um, so that's that's what I do for fun. It sounds like sobriety is treating you well. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I think that's beautiful. And I would be remiss because I'm sure there's listeners being like, ask about the puppy, Chris. What about the puppy? <laughs> what, <laughs> what kind of puppy, boy, girl, does it right. have a name yet? We got to hear the details on this as well. Yes. So Ollie Cavapoo, I had to have one that was small enough that I could fly with so that I'm not driving back to Bozeman, Montana to visit my mother who's who's older and will need me a lot more now my dad died a few months ago and uh so i had to have a little dog and so that i could fly with him because right now we have a big rescue dog and we have to get in the car and go all the way across (laughs) from (laughs) delaware to montana for the dog um so that's all he's uh he's he's cute little little bitty tiny cavapoo so he's good Good love it i like that name too ollie yeah all right kristen Let's uh, let's do what we came here to do and talk about your journey with alcohol. Let us know where, uh, yeah, wherever you'd like to start, early exposure, first drinks, things like that. And then we'll walk your story forward. Sounds good. So, you know, like I said, I was born in Louisiana. I grew up in Louisiana, went to LSU. I started drinking when I was about 12 years old. I never wanted to be home. So in high school, everything was a party and everything involved alcohol. That's pretty common in Louisiana. But I graduated from LSU. I moved to a small town in Texas, Arkansas area, lived there for six months and decided it was not for me. And I packed up all my stuff and I moved to Tasmania, Australia. I was there for a couple of years and, um, you know, that's where I met more people who like to drink. Um, So I went from Louisiana to Australia, where they also like a cold beer, too. And then I came back from Australia, moved to the D.C. area and just wondered why the hell people went home at midnight when the bars were going to be open for another good two hours. Right. So I did my share of partying in D.C., uh, worked as a newspaper reporter covering cops nights and weekends. And um, I was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty tough bird. But journalism, you know, was all about, you know, back in the 80s, it was about smoking cigarettes and drinking, you know. And after deadline. And so that's kind of what I sort of grew up in in my 20s as well. So in those those 20s years, I'm just curious, what did your drinking look like compared to to that of your peers? Were you were you having any realizations that maybe it was different? Do you feel like you just kind of went in with with the fold and you were doing the same same as other people? Or or did you notice that something was different about the way that you drank? Well, you know, now that I don't drink and I look around, I realize that, you know, a lot of people didn't drink as much as I thought they drank. Right. So but yes, I mean, I hung around drinkers, Um, but most people don't, you know, like get engaged and end up staying out with their fiance's best friend on that night and dancing in the town fountain in Australia. Right. So, I mean, I should have kind of, you know, taken a little look back then because everything was a party for me and I never wanted it to stop. Right. So in retrospect, I did not drink like other people drank. Um, but I did surround myself with people who drank a lot. And so, yeah, so my twenties wasn't as, relevant i suppose because so many other people were in their 20s were doing it and it was you know it was was not as huge of a deal in your 20s to black out as it 
you know, as it gets later in life. I think there's, I think there can be a mix of like, part of it is that's just for a lot of people, that's just a normal stage of life. That's just kind of, that's kind of what a lot of people's twenties looks like. But then there's also, I think sometimes we also look for a little bit of that confirmation bias and, and surround ourselves with people where, where maybe it won't stand out as much. And I think those, I think those things can exist in the same space. It's not necessarily one or the other. Yeah. Let's keep going. Yeah. So I, so I uh, moved back, you know, lived in DC for a while, like I said, and then uh, bought a beach home in Delaware and kind of went back and forth. Um, and then when my child was young, uh, my husband, who was a, who was a police officer and I kind of tag team Delaware and in DC. So he would be here with her and I would be there at work or I would be here with her and he would be there at work. And so it left a lot of time to drink alone. And, um, you know, I was a five o'clock wine drinker, um, you know, and so I, I was alone a lot. Yeah. You know, eventually I came back here to Delaware uh, when my daughter got old enough to, and she moved out, graduated from high school and went to college. And I, again, was still uh, alone here a lot because I was teleworking at that point. This was before COVID too. I was teleworking before it was cool. And, uh, (laughs) and so, you know, I was, I was here, but I, you know, this, we might get into this later, but, you know, I had a lot of, I had a lot of rules for myself because I wouldn't drink at lunch or, or, you know, because I knew that once I started drinking, I, I wouldn't stop. I didn't want to stop. And, and if I did drink and I had to stop, I was not happy about it. I was a bitch. I'm sorry. I'm, the rest of the day, I just wasn't a very pleasant person to be around. Yeah. My husband doesn't drink. He never, never really drank. He never drank. Um, he just doesn't drink. He doesn't, doesn't appeal to him. And so in a good way and in a bad way, um, you know, I always felt like I was being monitored, which was probably a really good thing for me. Had I married a drinker and I was married to a drinker, an Australian uh, for six years and we drank quite a bit together, but I think that my husband saved me from going a lot further off the deep end earlier than I did off the rails. Yeah. Uh, So many of us have these rules. Was there something that kind of initiated those rules? Like, was there a specific event or a series of events or was it just kind of this observation like, hey, maybe this has gone on a a little, maybe this has gone a little wild a couple of times. So I'm going to, I'm going to create these things. Well, like I said, I mean, as far as, as far as drinking, I mean, I worked during the day, so I didn't drink during the day. I went to work hungover a lot, but I didn't drink during the day. And so, uh, you know, my time to drink was was five o'clock. Uh, that's when I that's and I and I I'm a very rigid person. Like I do have a lot of willpower. Of course, we know that has nothing to do with alcohol. But, um, you know, I, it would be four fifty eight that cork. I wouldn't pop that cork until 5 p.m. I was very rigid in all of my rules. I would I would um, schedule swim classes on Fridays at 7.30 so that at least one day a week I wouldn't drink. And of course, that didn't last very long because as soon as I got back from sw- swim class, I would start drinking wine and, and go from there. But yeah, I mean, I think that I started making rules for myself pretty early on pretty early on. But again, I think it had to do with the fact that I couldn't drink like at 
three o'clock in the afternoon because I was with my husband or mm. what or talking to him on the phone and he obviously knew when I had been drinking. So I, I had I had very I tried to find my ways to control and moderate for years. Yeah. I you said the word that I was thinking of control and I think these I think these rules for us give us this this illusion this illusion of control like yeah I like this I, I maybe I recognize my uh, an inability to stop or an inability to slow down uh, but I but I've got control because this is it 458 corks in I'm waiting till 5 that's that's some pretty hardcore discipline you know like this is what we're telling ourselves yeah. And I mean, I hadn't lost my job. I had a very successful job in the federal government. Um, I hadn't lost my family. I hadn't lost my driver's license. I had, there were a lot of not yet's for me, but they were coming down the pike. I mean, there was no, there was n- no, you know, two ways about it. I mean, my husband asked me, the only thing he ever asked me to do was not pregame before we went out because I would drink a couple glasses of wine when I put my makeup on or whatever. And then we'd go out and then I'd come home and I would you know, finish. But um, he asked me not to do that. And he asked me not to drive drunk. And towards the end, I drove drunk a lot more than I should have. And, um, you know, I, I uh, but I hadn't, I hadn't lost anything. Is it normal to rather than eat at your lunchtime to lock your door and sleep underneath your desk? No, I was exhausted all the time. I was always tired. And I went to the doctor. I'm like, I don't have enough vitamin D or, you know, what's wrong with me? Could you do blood work on my thyroid? Like, I don't know why I'm so tired all the time. And, you know, then I quit drinking and all of a sudden I had all this energy. It was phenomenal. Weird, right? (laughs) Yeah. Before we keep going with your story, there's just one other thing that, that you said that really caught my attention that rings so true for me. You know, you said basically that you, f- you felt like you turned into a bitch if you started to drink and then stopped. And that was, that's one of my favorite questions to ask people. You know, if I come across someone who's considering a, a life of sobriety or, or considering recovery or, or questioning their relationship with alcohol is, is like, how does that feel if you start and then stop? If you have an expectation that you're just gonna be able to drink how you want to, and then you have to stop, like, how does that feel? And I think that I think that tells a lot. I think that's a big difference between someone who's quote unquote a normal drinker and those of us who have who have an issue with it is that feeling. And some of my some of my worst moments, some of the hardest things that I had to look back on were moments just like you said, like where I maybe was able to get a couple, but then for for whatever reason, whether it's because I told myself I had it was one of those rule days or or I was scared my wife was gonna catch on. Like some of the ways that I treated my family the worst, like I was sober or maybe just barely buzzed, but I, but I knew I had to stop and it just was not a good person in those times. No, not at all. I agree. You know, and even like my husband starting to be more open with me about how he really felt during my drinking days. And, you know, the other day he told me, you know, that um, he would wait because I would go into my room, close the door and then have a glass of wine. And I would kind of sneak into the kitchen and do another glass and sneak into the kitchen and do another glass. And we don't live in a very big house. So clearly he knew what was going on. But he told me that he would wait until I would. Well, he called it go to sleep. But mostly if I was drinking wine at night, which I always was, it was passing out. Right. And um he would wait until I passed out before he would come in the room because I would get nasty and started, you know, everything that had been on my mind and all my stuff that was going on in my head. 
would start coming out. And, oh, that's, that's hard to hear, you yeah. know? Yeah. The way that we isolated ourselves or, or push people away in some way, shape or form is it's tough, tough to face those things, but it, it's a blessing to be able to heal through them. For sure. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's keep, uh, walking your story forward. What was next? Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so, so basically I, uh, had, uh, a few occasions where I would go out to hear a band in Dewey beach, which is a really popular bar area. And, um, you know, I would, you know, I would just drink so much that I didn't even make it to the real, you know, to the actual band. I was there first, you know, opening, but you know, I would have to Uber home and you know and there were mornings where i'd walk out in my garage to make sure my car was there and that's when it kind of got scary for me and you know i quit drinking when i was 56 years old so we're talking about 54 55 years old is probably when when i just kind of said screw it you know and just started driving drunk again instead of ordering a glass of wine with my husband at night out at the restaurant i would order a craft like i didn't matter anymore i was turning over my wine bottles in the garbage can with paper plates over them or something so that nobody will see nobody in my family would see that i drank the whole bottle you know and i've heard similar stories over and over again but i was you know that's how it was for me so I took my daughter to Louisiana for her first internship, and I was sort of back home with my at my best friend's house. A friend of ours we went to high school with hired my daughter, a criminal defense attorney. He came over that night, and I just started pouring wine and pouring wine and pouring wine. And that was June 3rd, 2019. And I woke up to my text from my daughter in the room next door, and she said, please don't get defensive, but I'm really concerned about your drinking. And she validated what I had known for some time, but nobody had sort of called me out on it, right? There were all these rules that I had done myself and all these rules that my husband had asked me to do. And, and, but nobody had ever said, stop drinking. And later I found out that the reason that my husband never asked me to stop drinking is because he was concerned that I would choose alcohol over him. And I can't say that there weren't times in my life that I probably would have done that. But I woke up that morning to the text, to a text from my daughter, didn't remember going to sleep, didn't remember breaking a wine glass on the floor. She cut her, her foot on it. And uh, I, I went down to my best friend's room and I said, I'm done. I'm done with drinking. And she said, you didn't seem that bad. And I said, well, then therein lies another problem, right? I mean, the fact that I didn't seem so bad and God knows how many bottles of wine I drank and uh, that I don't remember the last three or four, however many hours of being awake, um, that's a problem. And I called a, a family member who uh, is a uh, is in Alcoholics Anonymous and I uh, called, I got home to DC. My husband was in Delaware. I called him and I said, I quit drinking. This was like two days later. And he said, okay, he didn't ask any questions. So I went to my first meeting the next day, a beginner's meeting. And that was it for me. I just, I just worked through that first year, um, hard. It was hard. (laughs) What a, uh, what a powerful moment, right? I mean, you had been going through this for years. And I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were, were plenty of moments, you know, between all sorts of family members or, or friends who may have expressed concern, but like what a, some, sometimes those kind of gut punch tough moments is it's, it's equally hard for that other person to, to have to, to broach the subject, but just say, listen, like, I love you. I care about you. And this, this can't keep going. We're, you know, she we're was worried so about brave. you. She was so brave. I mean, that was very, very brave of her. 
Yeah. I mean, I do credit her with my sobriety that day, for sure. I mean, a lot of it's my own work, but but it's a team. And that was the first time that, you know, and, um, you know, having my daughter say that to me was, um, I was so ashamed. You know, I had a lot of shame, a lot of shame with my drinking, um, a lot of shame. And I certainly woke up with a lot of shame that next morning. But I'm also this kind of person who, like, I quit smoking 25 years ago and I didn't plan on it. I didn't plan on quitting drinking June 4th, 2019. But as far as the smoking goes, I was just sitting out by the pool one day. I just bought a new pack and 25 years ago, I walked over into my driveway and I pulled one out of the car and I threw my pack away. I was a, a secret smoker too. I didn't smoke much, but you know, four or five cigarettes a day, but I didn't want my daughter growing up with someone who smoked. Funny. I was okay with growing up my daughter growing up with someone who drank, but um, I, I kind of make decisions like that very quickly. I, I, I am a very much a processor. Yeah. So I processed for a long time before I quit two things that I was most addicted to. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, sometimes we hear these stories and everybody's, everybody's recovery looks different. Right. And there's some people who have a lot of starts and stops and, and that's okay. It's, I mean, that's, that's what their process looks like. And then there's other people who, who kind of do a lot of that starting and stopping more of a, it's, it's more mentally. And then when that day one comes that it's, you know, God willing, it, it holds and it sticks and in both ways are okay. It's, you know, it's all right. If that looks a little different, I never, you know, I was kind of the same way. I had rules for years and years and years and God willing my day one, you know, I, I, I didn't necessarily do that, that relapse cycle, but I mean, it was freaking awful for years leading up to it but god willing that was my last day one that's same and and i have friends who you know have have gone the other route and um you know year two three four later they just finally got it they just it just finally clicked and um i have a lot of friends like that i just know that personally i'm not sure that that would work for me i have to have a very hard and fast rule for myself and that is if i you know, if I don't take the first drink, I won't get drunk. Boom. Yeah. It's that easy for me. It's that easy. Yeah. And, you know, and that I will not drink no matter what is going on in my life. And um, I learned that from someone very, very wise. Kristen, I want to talk about that. Uh, you said you were uh, a couple days in and you had a friend that you knew was in AA. I want to talk about that phone call and the first meetings. Like what, what did it feel like? Um, we, I believe we have, we probably have listeners who are maybe at that point or near that point where you were on, yeah. on June 4th of 2019, you're like, okay, I've made this decision. What the hell do I do now? You had a, a person in your life who had some sobriety experience. Uh, what did that feel like to make that, that phone call? And then what was it like to, to start to start going to meetings, like th those early experiences, if you want to, if you could expand on those a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that morning, um, this person, a family member said to me, you never have to feel this way again. And I was just like, thank God, <laughs> you know, that's how I felt like, really, you know, and then my, my mind started going through, oh my God, well, I mean, how can I live without alcohol? I've never lived without alcohol. What, what happens when my daughter gets married well she was only like six five 24 years old and wasn't dating anyone but somehow or another my mind went straight to her wedding um you know how am i going to do this without alcohol how am i going to do that without alcohol you know and the way that you do it the way that i did it was just to do it 
And thank God, I mean, going through all those first was just like, I was like a cheerleader for myself. I was like, yes, my first Christmas without alcohol and my first Thanksgiving without alcohol. And our holidays and my family involve a lot of wine drinking. You know, the more expensive and the finer wine, you know, the better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that was kind of that was kind of my initial impression. And then when I walked into my first meeting, I didn't tell anybody I was going. Um, it was a beginner's meeting. And I walked in and I felt like all the skin had just been peeled off of my body. I've never been a vulnerable person. I've been a very independent, almost like a steamroller kind of person which made me very successful in my personal in my professional career but my my home life was not a great home life my my dad was amazing my my mother is an alcoholic and um, so it wasn't a good home life. And so I grew up very independent before cell phones you know I couldn't call my parents to ask them for advice I never I wouldn't have anyway but um, you know so when I walked into the room the first time I felt more vulnerable than I've ever felt in my entire life and I and I and I'm not a crier. I, it, I wasn't a crier. Like I never cried. I probably didn't cry for 25, 30 years. And then I cried for my entire first year of my sobriety. But I was welcomed in this beginner's meeting and somebody made me sit up front and they read the first uh, the first step. And uh, the person who shared was five months sober. And she said, once I had a glass of wine, I couldn't stop. And I was like, oh my God, there's other people out there like me. Like, it was just the greatest feeling to know that I had found my people, like I had found my sober people. And it just kept going from there. I just felt good every single time. And, you know, I, as I said, um, you know, I listened to Recovery Elevator podcast in my early sobriety every single day on the way to D.C., back from D.C. to the grocery store. I listened to Recovery Elevator. I ordered every sobriety book under the sun. Um, I was reading Quit Lit, you know, um, you know, Alcohol Shit, one of my favorite books. Um, You know, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on, you know, um, Recovery Elevator. I'm saying that because I've had people call me and say, how did you do it? And I would tell them how I did it. But I also tell them, that there's other ways to do it, right? There's so many different avenues to get sober now. And there's so many different communities to get sober in. And the first thing I say is, if you're really thinking about quitting drinking, listen to Recovery Elevator podcast. Just listen to them and see if you relate. And if you relate and you really want to do this, then call me and, you know, I'll, I'll be there for you anytime and do whatever you need. That, you know, has stuck less often with people than it has stuck. but for the people that it's helped, I'm, I'm so, I'm so grateful for those people, you know? So I talk yeah. a lot. You're good. There's, there's something special about, you know, like, like you said, we, we talked a little bit before we hit record, but there's something special about whether it's, whether it's this podcast or, you know, there's, there's, a, we live in a, a really cool time where there's a lot of other podcasts. I mean, of course, I'm going to advocate for this one, right? But <laughs> Uh, whether it's this podcast or another one or a 12 step meeting or some other sort of support group, there's something special about hearing, hearing our story in someone else's. And, you know, like you said, that first meeting, somebody said, uh, when I take that first drink of wine, I can't stop. And to have that, like, yes, I'm the same way with beer or vodka or rum or, or, or any other substance to hear that there's someone else out there who, who had that same relationship. And they've, they've found a way 
they they found a way like out of those shackles. It's it's just a relief, and it's it's weird. It like it, I don't know how, how else to describe it. It's weird because we're in this place, you know. We're in you know. There's the stereotype of AA meetings where it's a church basement. I know our local AA. It's not a church basement, but it's a like a classroom off to the side, and it's it's in the evening and it's poorly lit. And it's like this weird space where like a coffee sucks. Somebody brings in some old cookies from the day old bin at the grocery store. And like, it's not supposed to be this great place, but I've had some of the best moments in those rooms or at, you know, at a retreat or at an online meeting or like these spaces where we're able to crack ourselves open and just allow ourselves to cry, allow ourselves to have that vulnerability that other places in our life haven't allowed us to do that. It's just it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I love it. You know, I love it too. And I have to tell you, I live in a very diverse community and I live uh, in a beach town. And so most of my sober friends either worked in the restaurant or the bar industry or still do. Um, and so, you know, I have fun friends. Like, I mean, these people were fun when they drink and they're really fun sober too. And so I have such a great tribe of people. Are all of them 60? No, I, I don't tend, I never really have tended to hang out. Well, that's not true. My husband's 10 years older than I am. But, um, you know, in my sober group, I hang out with people who are younger than me. And that's fine, too, because um, I don't think age really matters. I think it's how you're connected. And we're so closely connected by our sobriety. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no. it's a uh, great unifier. And there's it's just people looking to what I find, you know, to to be pretty universal. I mean, there you know, there's anomalies, of course, but people in recovery have this uh like a new zeal for life and excitement about it uh, uh just a love for the things that they that they're able to do without you know simple things without again like w- without the shackles of addiction not to not to sound like melodramatic but it is like to be able to do these simple things it's what a blessing and uh I was a prisoner of wine. I mean, I was a prisoner of wine. And when I quit drinking, I had no idea how much mind space would be freed up, you know, because I wasn't thinking about five o'clock or I wasn't thinking about being hungover and I wasn't being, I wasn't feeling shameful. I wasn't kicking myself. I wasn't, you know, I I wasn't, it was so much mind space freed up, you know, and and I definitely was a prisoner of wine. I mean, I had vodka in my freezer for two years after I quit drinking. I, it's not what interested me. It's all, yeah, it, we all have our own thing, right? So I don't have any alcohol in my house now, but um, well, I do because my 27 year old daughter is living with me and she has a couple of beers, but she's not an alcoholic. So, you know, lucky. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've got another note that I wrote down uh, when you were talking about that first year. You said that you were a cheerleader for yourself. And mm-hmm. I, I really love that, uh, that thought as well. And I was wondering if you could just explain, you know, you mentioned, you know, first Christmas, like you're pumped up and excited. And I think that's beautiful. I love that. I think we, I think we need to do that. We need to celebrate those victories. And I just wanted to know, like through that first year, just these kind of milestone events, whether it's holidays, birthdays, the big picnic or somebody's wedding or whatever, what sorts of things were you doing to like pump yourself up and get through those things? Did you have, you know, were you leaning into like an AA community? Did you have a group of friends? What were some of your tools to, to knock those first year things uh, off the list? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I have a sponsor. I've had a sponsor since second week, since, you know, second week in June 2019. And my sponsor is 33 years sober. And she had a daughter who was diagnosed with cancer eight years um, before she was 26 years old. So however old she was. And she died when she was 26 years old with cancer. And so my first year, honestly, I didn't have the guts or the desire to call my sponsor and say that anything going on in my life calls me to drink because I can't imagine anything worse than losing a child and getting through it sober. And then, of course, she told me the reason that she, you know, was there for her daughter was because she was sober, right? She was sober to be there for her her child. So, you know, I credit her child who died of cancer and my sponsor for keeping me sober the first year because I couldn't call her and told tell her I had a drink. And the first year was absolutely difficult. It was it was difficult for me. Um, but the more of that I got through, the more I felt small and the stronger, more powerful sort of sober warrior woman, I felt like, right? I know that sounds like really whatever, but it's true. I mean, I think the strongest people I know in my life are people who were addicted to alcohol and kicked the habit, right? So I don't think of myself as I'm missing anything. Like I, I, I am, you know, what is it that I heard the other day? You know, I don't have, you know, fear of missing out. I, I don't have that, you know, I, at all, I don't have any desire to bring that Kristen back. I am so happy with the Kristen that I have rediscovered and it actually even gone further than that. Cause that's a whole nother kind of sobriety is emotional sobriety. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't look at my, when I, when I hear people say they feel like they're missing out, you know, I, I, I guess maybe maybe I don't remember those days, but yeah, I don't feel that way anymore at all. I am just I love being sober. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that first year being tough and it and it is. I mean, the it, it I don't think it <clears throat> I don't think we're doing anybody any favors by saying, yeah, first year is a cakewalk. It's a breeze. <laughs> you know, we're not here to bullshit you. It can be it can be really tough, but it it can also be really exciting. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. I mean, the most exciting year of my life was the year I discovered that I no longer needed alcohol in my life. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But getting through those feelings without numbing them. Now, that's another that's another that's a whole nother story. Right. So that was the tough part for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to process it. We're for the first time we're processing the things that are taking place in the present moment. For for many of us, it's the first time in a long time that we're just processing day-to-day life without that numbing agent. And then for a lot of us also, we dig in we dig into stuff, whether it's through counseling or reading self-help books or working uh, you know, working a 12-step program or something similar. We're starting to to look at at our past a little bit. And some of that can be can be really it can be challenging. It can be tough. But going back to that <clears throat> that cheerleader comment. You know, I did so much of that stuff too. And and that's where like a recovery community is amazing. Cause like most people, if I, I've got some amazing, very supportive friends. A lot of my friends locally here are also like, you know, again, quote unquote, normal drinkers. And if I call them and say, Hey, I went to the company Christmas party and I didn't drink. They're just going to, okay. Like, <laughs> what? all right, what, what, do, what do you want me to do with that? And it's like, well, I was, you know, if you want to set a parade up, that'd be great. 
you know, I would, that would be wonderful. And they're just like, all right, this is, that's just life, Chris. That's a, that's a normal Friday. And I'm like, well, it wasn't for me, damn it. But like when I, when I go to, you know, if I go to a 12 step meeting or come into, you know, my, my uh, recovery community and be like, Hey, I made it through my Christmas party. There's that's where the people are going to be who are like, Holy shit. Like you did that. That's amazing. Like, nice job. How did you do it? How do you feel? And it's, you know, that again, that encouragement from folks who get it, it is a big motivator. And we, you know, my, my wife has been around, you know, I'm approaching six years at the time that we record this. My wife's been around this for a long time. And I remember her initially be like, what do you guys freaking celebrate everything? And I'm like, yes, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. That's so true. And, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, something that struck me, um, I'm not sure if it's something that you just said, but, um, you know, being present for people, being present, being available um, to our families and to our friends. And, you know, that was another thing. That's probably the best part of sobriety for me is being there for people, right? You know, and it is getting through the first Christmas party or the first this or the first that, you know, but my dad died in Billings, Montana, uh, lives in Bozeman. He died October 1st. And I was there with him in hospice. And I was there for him and my mother who has, you know, dementia. And I had to move her into a home in Bozeman and it's within seven days and clear out a 10,000 square foot house of 81 years of stuff. I could have never done that when I was drinking ever, never, you know, and I was able to be there for my dad after he was gone. Right. And I was able to be there for my mother as tumultuous as our relationship has been, but I'm doing the next right thing. Right. That's what I need to do. And I'm taking care of my mother now because she's in a home, but um, she has a lot of difficulties. And so I'm having to take over a lot, a lot or all of the responsibilities with doctors and finances. And I couldn't do that if I was drinking or I'd be very resentful about it if I was doing it. Um, so, you know, sobriety's led me to, to be able to be available to people in a way I never could have been available to uh, drinking. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a really an excellent point. And, uh, you know, we've got a, a few minutes before we go to rapid fire, but I think it's appropriate to, to go back to that text from your daughter, um, and tie that in with what you were just saying, you know, she's the one who kind of helped, helped to get that door open. I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on what, what some of these relationships are like now, you know, you had mentioned your husband, you know, not wanting to come to bed until you, you know, until you were already out, you know, that, that tough night with your daughter, you know, what are some of these, where, how do these relationships look like now with four years and change of, of healing that's happened? You know, where are they at now? Wow. That's the biggest joy of all of this, honestly, is that, you know, I, when I was drinking, I was, like I said, I was independent. So I had my own opinions. I was very judgmental, you know, I would, you know, people needed to do things a certain way. I mean, I'm very OCD. My, my daughter, um, you know, is, is, uh, is, is different from me. And, um, you know, I, I caused turmoil in my house that I never even knew I was. I mean, I took my daughter to horse shows every other weekend and I was there, I thought, but I caused a lot of emotional issues, a lot of emotional pain. And it took me about three and a half years to get the trust back, right, um, of my daughter. 
I feel like now that I continue every single day to respond in a sober way, and I know that sounds weird, but it's 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 true. And I pause and I'm judgmental and I don't say exactly what's on my mind and I'm not always right that I've finally gotten a relationship with my daughter that is the best relationship I've ever had with her, hands down. And it took a lot of and I don't blame her. I don't blame her one bit for not trusting me the first few years at all because she never knew me sober or not drinking. I mean, I never knew me not drinking, um, but I've learned a lot and it's brought me very much closer to her and my husband as well. Uh, and my husband has his own, own program as of a couple of months ago. And I have to tell you, our relationship is just like probably the best it's ever been. So, yeah, I'm definitely feeling the joys of sobriety for sure. Yeah. And it's and the best friends I've ever had in my life. Because right before I quit drinking, I thought, you know, I need a new set of friends. Like, I can't depend on these people for anything, right? I could depend on them to come to my party, you know, out at the out at the uh, stables and drink beer with me after the riding lesson. But, you know, if I asked them for anything, I'm not sure that they would be there. And I, and I was starting to see that. Now I have a, a, a set of friends that, that, that would do anything for me from day one, where they hardly even knew me. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I go way off on the question but there's no just that's great so much, you know so much good stuff that's great <clears throat> you know and with our families sometimes we have you know they have conditioned responses be because our behavior was what it was for so long but what a blessing to be able to to just dig in and be like you know i'm gonna do what i need to do as as long as i need to do it to show you that there's that there's a change and when they're when they've done when they've seen enough of that, when they've, when they're willing to let us back in, it, it's, it's really cool. And, uh, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to have some of that in my life too. And, and I think that's great that you mentioned, uh, your new, your new friends, you know, I, I love to call my, my recovery people, my chosen family, because they're the best, you know, I've got, <laughs> I've got brothers and sisters that I, that I, ne that I never had before. And it's people that I talk to every day, people that are there to, to tell about what I'm having for lunch, stupid stuff like that. And then also like, Hey, I'm really dealing with some, some pretty hard stuff right now. And I just need someone to hold some space for me. And they're one or the other stupid dog pictures, unprocessing some trauma. They're either there for all of it. Yeah. And I'm also doing like cafe RE book clubs. I did the ukulele course. I mean, I'm not just surrounding myself with sober people here in my community. I'm surrounding myself with sober people from all over the place, you know, so my, my, my net is cast very wide. I think it's beautiful, Kristen. I love it. With that, we are at the rapid fire round. Always amazes me how quickly this comes up, but we are here in 30 to 60 seconds. I'm going to ask you some questions. Are you ready? <sighs> I think so. All right. No screwing up. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're going to be fine. Uh, what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about getting sober? Um, my biggest fear was, uh, that I would not be able to do it, honestly. Um, you know, I didn't know if I could make it without drinking wine every night to settle down. Although we know that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. What is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? I think the group of, of friends that I have now, I did not expect to have. Yeah. 
unexpected blessing. And 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 my new relationships with my family members by doing the next right thing every day as much as I can. Love it. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Oh, LaCroix Limoncello. I go through cases and cases and cases of it. <laughs> and unsweetened iced tea. I'm into it. Big LaCroix fanboy over here. Me too. Uh, what is your plan in sobriety moving forward? You know, I think just continuing to work on my emotional sobriety. You know, I heard someone share the other day that they, uh, after five years, they were at the ferry and they saw a bar and they thought about having a drink and that scared the crap out of me. So um, I think just making sure that I'm keeping emotionally sober and, 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 and that's it. That's my plan. Good enough. What parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are early in their recovery or thinking about getting sober? Give it, give it a year, you know, give it, don't, don't, don't give yourself only a year, but, um, you know, work a program, whatever program that is, you know, whether that's, you know, cafe RA or recovery elevator or reading books or find, you know, whatever it is, give it a year and, uh, surround yourself with sober people. Don't try to do it alone. Good word. And last, but certainly not least. Can you give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze if line? Oh God, I have so many, but, um, so you might need to ditch the booze if you have to go out and buy it to have it in your house, even though you don't plan to drink it just to calm your nerves. Yep. <laughs> you need that little comfort blanket. You know, just sticking those bottles of wine in that pantry, just in case that night that I choose not to drink, I might have to. <laughs> in case of emergency. Yeah. Yeah. It might be time to ditch the booze. Yeah. Uh, Kristen, I just want to thank you for your time and your vulnerability. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. This has been awesome. I'm so, so glad to, to sort of meet you in person. Um, you know, I've, I've heard you, I've heard you plenty of times on the podcast and through some of the smaller groups. And um, it's just really nice to meet you. And I'm so glad to be here. And I wish the very best for everyone on their road to recovery, whatever that looks like. So thanks. Nice to be with you too, sister. Thank you. Recovery Elevator. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Kristen, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. For today's outro, I'm going to give my answer to Bobby the Awesome's question. Could you address the non-alcoholic beverage options with 12-step culture not necessarily being as open because it could be a trigger? Huge disclaimer here. I am a 12-step guy, but I do not speak on behalf of AA or any group. This is just my experience and what has and hasn't worked for me. First, some facts. Alcohol can be found in regular food items we consume. There have been studies about the occurrence of ethanol in foods and its potential impacts on pregnant women and children, and I very quickly found myself out of my league when reading this study, but it did confirm some things. Ripe fruit, some baked goods, some fruit juices, all contain trace amounts of alcohol, similar in quantity to what you would find in an N.A. beer. I'm not providing these facts to talk you into picking up a case of O'Doul's on your way home from work tonight, but it's simply so we have the information. I personally didn't touch any sort of any beer for nearly three years. Whenever I thought of it, it scared me. I was worried that once it hit my lips, maybe I would hulk out and go grab a case of Miller Lite and start booze cruising all over Mercer County just like I used to. 
I told myself that if I'm putting that much thought into it, I'm just going to pass for now. It wasn't worth it. I even went to a recovery happy hour retreat. What's up, Trisha? Where she took us to a boutique liquor store that made us mocktails at their bar in the back. I enjoyed the mocktails, but passed on the NA wine because I wasn't comfortable with it at the time. It was a cool moment, though, at that retreat. It empowered us and showed us that we can have fun drinks and we can be in these environments without alcohol. Since then, I have dabbled in the NA beer world. I'm not much for fancy mocktails, at home anyway, they're too much work for me, but I really enjoy some of the NA beers out there. One thing I did find is that I don't care for anything that tastes like an American light beer. That was my poison and act of addiction, and it just hits too close to home for me. So what should you do? Is it okay to partake in the NA offerings? If you're nervous about it and you're putting a lot of thought into it, my suggestion, just wait. They're going to be there. There's more and more each day. They're not going anywhere. If you are drinking them, take a look at how you're using them. Just be curious about it. Is this a one-to-one replacement? Is it a crutch? Is it a problem if it is? Or is this simply a way to enjoy something besides a thousand cans of sparkling water? Which I don't see a problem with that either. Ask these questions without judgment. And whatever you decide, make sure you're putting your sobriety at the front of it. This spring, within the same week, I had about three different cases of any beer show up to the house. I had heard of a couple new brands or I heard of some new flavors that came out and I wanted to stock up for the nice weather. My wife gave me a look and she might have been a bit concerned when cases number two and three showed up. I think she envisioned me sitting in the office pounding any beers like a madman. In reality, I was just justifying the shipping cost or buying enough to get free shipping. I still have about a case and a half of those three cases sitting in my office right now. It's up to you to decide what's right for you, and I'll always be an advocate for erring on the side of caution. But we also don't need to go on a witch hunt for anyone who does enjoy an NA beer. Hopefully that's helpful. All right, Ari, we're the only ones that can do this, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys. Mm-hmm.